Welcome to ESG Unlocked by ISS Corporate, a podcast that features engaging and insightful discussions with ESG and sustainability experts around the world. I am your host, Pamela Mutomwa. On this episode, we will be discussing the issue of greenwashing. I will be speaking with Scott Case. Scott is Vice President of Corporate Social Responsibility and Sustainability at National Retail Federation, NRF. He leads NRF's Sustainability Council and supports retailer efforts to use their businesses to make the world a better place for everyone. Throughout Scott's career as a strategist, consultant, and sustainability expert, he has worked with organizations including the White House, World Bank, U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, large publicly traded and private sector companies, and federal, state, and local governments around the world. Scott has published dozens of articles and case studies, testified before U.S. Congress, and has been quoted broadly in mainstream media. Scott is originally from Charlotte, North Carolina, and holds a master's degree in political science with a focus on sustainability from Virginia Tech. Scott, welcome to ESG Unlocked. Hey, thanks for having me. Awesome. Sustainable products and services have never been more popular than they are today as we see consumers seeking more of them. Now, we do see that this is incentivizing companies to respond to this demand. However, there's a challenge with some of the marketing approaches taken by companies when they are you know, presenting these green products in the marketplace. Some may be stretching the truth, and sometimes some aren't even sharing their complete sustainability truth. Greenwashing is an issue that you have been vocal about for a while now, since probably the mid-1990s. Let's start by defining what greenwashing and green muting are for our listeners before we dive into the complexities of, of all of this. Yeah, happy to, Pamela. I love the way you called me old so politely, but yeah, I've been focusing <laughs> on these issues for a while. So uh, greenwashing is presenting false or misleading information about the environmental or social benefits of a product or a service and attempt to just sell more of it. So it's uh, kind of shading the truth a little bit, not telling the whole truth. And we can really go into some of the nuances of what that means now versus what it meant back in the 90s. Green muting is a more recent phenomena where companies that are actually doing really, really good things are afraid to talk about it mm -hmm. because people throw around greenwashing left and right just because they don't like your definition of what's more sustainable. So green muting is kind of the polar opposite of greenwashing. It's the, the organizations doing really cool things, being afraid to talk about what they're doing. Yeah, which is you know very unfortunate, but that's the paradox, right, of some of these new concepts. So one of the things that I would like us to do is also get into some examples for our listeners. And when I think of examples of greenwashing, I think of my experience walking through the grocery store aisles or when I'm buying some beauty products or clothing online and I see statements like environmentally friendly. And sometimes it makes me cringe because it does come off vague and I can't actually verify some of these you know, concepts that they might be calling out in claims. And I understand that you have done some categorizing of these types of greenwashing behaviors and others, and you refer to them as the sins of greenwashing. So I'll list them out for our listeners, and maybe you can elaborate on a couple of them that you see being more prevalent. First one I have here is the sin of hidden trade-off. 
the sin of irrelevance, the sin of vagueness, the sin of relativism, the sin of fibbing, the sin of no proof, and the sin of worshiping false labels. Scott, can you elaborate on two of the ones that you observe the most from companies? Well, yeah. So it's kind of, that's fun. So it's been, we came up with the uh, seven sins of greenwashing sometime back in the 2000s when I was in a prior role. But you started with an example of, you know, being in the grocery store or looking at the cosmetics aisle and seeing a phrase like environmentally friendly. Mm -hmm. um, what the heck does that mean? So, right. so we consider that the sin of vagueness because there's not enough information for you, the consumer, to know what the heck that means. So, you know, you picked on environmentally friendly. One of my all-time favorites was Mother Earth Approved. Like, mm. okay, who is this woman? <laughs> and what criteria did she use to decide Mother Earth had approved that product? Um, but what's important for people to realize is that that kind of vagueness actually violates the U.S. Federal Trade Commission's guidelines on environmental marketing claims. So there is great warning about why that's not true. To avoid the sin of vagueness, anyone making a claim needs to actually provide some sort of explanation for what that term means and uh, hopefully provide a accompanying proof that every statement they make is accurate. So you started with one of the sins of greenwashing in your opening, that's the sin of vagueness. Yeah. Um, one of the others we get asked about frequently is the sin of fibbing, and that's just outright lying. And when we conducted the research, and again, this was years and years ago, but when we conducted the research, the good news was there wasn't a lot of just outright lying. Mm -hmm. um, so, so we can kind of you know, stop worrying about that one. Um, but I think some of the ones that are really important are kind of the sin of no proof. If you're making some sort of sustainability claim, you should be able, willing to provide the evidence, the proof. Here's an independent test result. Here's tracing of the supply chain to make that a true statement. So those are a couple, but we could keep going on the others, other, what, four or five. Like, sure, how about, how about you throw in another one? Uh, let's pick another one. I, I've always like, wow, I think the sin of the hidden trade-off is a fun one. Oh, yeah. So the sin of the hidden trade-off, and that one is fun because there are lots of examples where as someone tries to improve a product, mm -hmm. um, they are focusing on maybe one criteria, like we are going to maximize the amount of recycled content in this product. So that's great. But maybe that's actually creating challenges in the overall sustainability of the product. And so there are these kind of trade-offs. If you maximize one environmental benefit, you might be making other things worse. So if you're only focused on reducing the carbon footprint of a product, the hidden trade-off might be um, you've had adverse impacts on nature or adverse impacts on the workers deep in the supply chain that were manufacturing it. So the hidden set of hidden trade-off can be avoided by taking a systemic look at the products and a systemic look at the claims that you're making. So, but the number one secret to avoiding greenwashing, be very, very specific, very accurate about what you're saying, provide proof and be mm -hmm. humble because there are no perfect products. There are no perfect companies. Sustainability is a continual improvement process. Absolutely. It's definitely a continuous improvement process.
Which is interesting when you talk about proof and getting verification. Well, at ISS Corporate, we do have a second party opinion SPO service. Our SPO service provides issuers with an independent assessment of their green, social, and sustainability linked financing frameworks. Those that meet ISS Corporate's rigorous global standards give investors the security that the projects they fund are suitably sustainable. With that said, there's an interesting case I'd like to share with our listeners as I pivot to the next segment with you, Scott. This case is about a project in Kariba, Zimbabwe, which was set out to plant trees in the region, preventing deforestation, which can then be used by companies to help meet climate targets and offset emissions that they're unable to cut from their operations, right? This is another way of offsetting emissions is investing in planting trees. This on-site management of the project raised some concerns for one of its developers, a carbon offsetting firm. And the concerns that they had included whether it actually preserved as much forest as it claimed, you know, one of its own success criteria. In addition to that, they observed that the communities involved did not actually benefit as much as expected, which is a social impact concern, as you had mentioned, right, that sometimes deep, deep in the supply chain, there may be issues with um, how workers are treated with communities. So that carbon offsetting firm decided to cut ties from the project in 2023, right, upon discovering some of these things. Now, this scenario is an example of how, like you talked about, continuous improvement, continuously evaluating practices and performance of one's value chain and supply chain. Can you elaborate a little bit more on some opportunities within value chain or supply chain that are examples of continuous improvement working with your third party? Brilliant question, Pamela, because that's that's the heart of the matter. In the modern, complex economy that we're living in where people talk about supply chains as though it's like some kind of straight line from the from the retailer or the manufacturer all the way through it's not a straight line these are interdependent independent organizations that kind of come together to create the products that you and i buy and so you've got to understand those value chains ask the right questions of all of your partners in that value chain document things throughout that value chain so that one, you have insights into what's actually happening, but two, you are conveying to all of your suppliers and supply partners how important these issues are to you and to your consumers. So a lot of it really is just communicating, not just the facts, but communicating the values that underlie the reasons you're asking for certain things. Absolutely. Now, I'd like you to elaborate on some of the things that companies and issuers can do to be responsible in avoiding greenwashing without also green muting themselves, as you had also mentioned before. The easiest way for any organization to avoid greenwashing um, is to be very, very clear about what they're saying, be very specific about what they're saying, and have the proof to back up any claim when they're asked or when they're challenged. So transparency is kind of the antidote to greenwashing. The antidotes to green muting might be a little more challenging because green muting arises when companies are so terrified to talk about what they're doing because no matter what anyone says, someone else can always charge, that's not sustainable enough. That's not perfect, therefore you're greenwashing. 
And I think that tendency, particularly in the United States, that tendency leads companies to a very risk averse communication strategy where some companies have point blank told us that they don't want to talk about what they're doing. They want people just to discover what they're doing. <laughs> and you've got to be a pretty sophisticated consumer to kind of learn what people are doing and hunting and pecking. So I think it is greenwashing and green muting are kind of on a continuum. Mm -hmm. And the magic sweet spot is somewhere in the middle where you are very open about what you're doing. You're very clear about what you're doing. You're very specific about what you're doing and you can provide proof. So what are some of the different types of risks associated with greenwashing? And, you know, Scott, perhaps we can look at it from different stakeholder views. Mm, that's a that's a that's a great question. And it's an important point, too, right? Because there are a couple of risk factors that are out there. The underlying risk is that everyone is defining sustainability differently in their own minds, in their own worldviews, within their own part of the economy. So one of the challenges is everybody is looking at sustainability from a slightly different perspective. Mm -hmm. Consumers, no two consumers have the same definition of sustainability. No two consumers have the exact same priorities, which is more important, reducing carbon, increasing recycled content, going with organic materials. So consumers are kind of confused or just unclear about what's important for them. So the risk of greenwashing in the consumer space is you're eroding consumer trust in your organization and your products. So that's that's a big risk right there. So mm -hmm. communicating clearly so people understand your perspective on sustainability and you're reaching them from, you know, reaching out to their understanding. So that's the consumer piece. The same is also kind of true from an investor profile. So investors are looking for different kinds of criteria to measure the sustainability or ESG kind of performance of a company or an organization. And so again, the risks there are much bigger and more financial. If your investor community thinks you are misleading consumers or others about your sustainability profile, they can actually quickly affect stock prices and employee bonuses, executive bonuses. So that's a risk profile. And then kind of the third big stakeholder that we all want to keep an eye out on are the regulatory community. Mm -hmm. So what are the governments saying about what you can and cannot say? So you've got to constantly balance what people understand with how they're measuring and assessing what's going on with what the laws currently say and might eventually be saying. It's interesting. There's an example, I think I actually read on one of the papers that you wrote where there's text on a product and it says no CFCs, right? And this might be a few years ago, but apparently CFCs were actually banned by most governments by, was it 1970 something? Uh, somewhere around that time frame. So that's an example where it's a factually true statement. This product contains no CFCs, chlorofluorocarbons factually true and accurate, also potentially very misleading because they're banned. So the statement is presented as though, hey, here's a cool environmental benefit that differentiates us from others. But in fact, all that statement is saying is, hey, we obey the law. Right. And simply obeying the law in that case is probably not a differentiator if you're concerned about sustainability. Yeah. 
this concept is very interesting. And one of the things I'm really getting from all conversation here is transparency, being able to back up the claims, being clear, not being afraid to actually share what you are doing, right? Green hushing, green muting, trying to stay away from that, but also at the same time, not trying to overstate without being able to, to validate what you're stating. It's a spectrum of behavior there. Yeah, I think that's the perfect summary, Pamela. Well done. Thank you for making the time to invest in our ESG Unlocked community. I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much, Pamela. This was ESG Unlocked, brought to you by ISS Corporate. As your host, I appreciate you listening in and encourage you to share this podcast with your friends and colleagues, as our mission is to help you better understand the evolving governance, compensation, sustainability, as well as the cyber risk landscapes. To keep up to date on new episode releases, you can subscribe to ESG Unlocked on your preferred streaming service. You can also follow ISS Corporate on LinkedIn for additional insights as we continue to explore and unlock the value of ESG.